Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Dynamic Dialogue podcast. As always, this is your host, Danny Matrenga. This is episode 170, and we're going to be going over six habits and behaviors that tend to sabotage people's fat loss progress. These are themes and behaviors that I have seen recurrently amongst clients that I've worked with personally who have struggled with losing weight, friends and family who I have seen struggle with losing weight. These are the six things that I think pop up probably more so than anything else. We're going to go over what they do, how they work, how you can overcome them, some alternative habits you might look to employ to kind of um, push these away so they don't continue to sabotage your progress. But these are the big ones. These are the things that I think if you were to pool a large percentage of people together who said they struggled with weight loss, um, more often than not, the reason they struggle, uh, one or many of the reasons they struggled would fall into this list. So we'll break that down today. Before we do, I want to plug my amazing sponsor, Legion Athletics. Legion is the premier sports performance supplement line in the industry. It's my favorite supplement manufacturer. They make an amazing protein, an amazing creatine, a great omega-3 fish oil, a great multivitamin, and all of the ingredients are clinically dosed, meaning that you are getting the ingredients in the dosages that are shown to work in clinical trials in human beings. They're not just showing like, hey, this works in humans in five gram dosages, but we're going to give it to you in a one gram dosage. They're going to give you the ingredients you need to look, feel, and perform your best in the dosages that are proven to work in the literature in humans which to me is really important. That paired with a completely transparent, easy to read label, educational resources right there on the website. You can get all of your supplement needs from Legion Athletics by going to legion.com, checking out using the promo code Danny, you'll save 20% and earn double points. And again, my favorite things from them are the recharge creatine. I love the whey protein. The plant protein is also very good. I've been using the Fortify joint supplement recently which also comes with a hefty serving of turmeric. And the greens powder has my favorite plant compound or fungi compound, reishi mushroom. It's the only greens powder I've seen that includes three grams of reishi mushroom. And what I love about that is just taking three grams of reishi mushroom a day from a competitor of Legion or a mushroom-based competitor would cost three times what it costs to get the equivalent amount of reishi because Legion just doesn't march it, uh, mark it up that much, which to me is really, really cool. So again, legion.com, check out using the promo code Danny to support the show. And without further ado, let's go ahead and take a deep dive into these habits and behaviors. So I do think that the first one, um, and this is one I've touched on a lot because I do believe that most people who are looking to lose weight are using exercise as a means to enhance fat loss. It should not be the primary driver of fat loss. Most of you know this already, but the primary driver of fat loss is going to be being in a calorie deficit. What happens when you enter a calorie deficit is fairly simple. I'll explain it to you like you're five, but your body has a threshold of energy it needs to complete all of its various biological processes. This is called your total daily energy expenditure. This is comprised of four unique different components, the first of which is your exercise activity thermogenesis, so you need some energy set aside for your exercise. Your non-exercise activity thermogenesis, that's some energy that's spent on fidgeting, moving around, walking to and from, your non-deliberate exercise activity. This is the portion of metabolism that varies the most from person to person. So somebody who has a quote-unquote fast metabolism, they might have higher NEAT. Somebody who has a slow metabolism, might have lower NEAT. When people diet for a really long time and they experience metabolic adaptations, NEAT tends to be the most reflexive element and it's the one that changes 
the most rapidly to kind of offset restriction calorically. So if you say, oh man, I, I was dieting on 1500 calories and then I stopped losing weight and I had to drop to 12 to keep losing, that 300 calorie drop off is oftentimes from the body constraining meat so as to better adapt to restricted calories. The third component of the total daily energy expenditure uh, equation is thermic effect of food, which is, hey, how much energy do I require to chew, eat, digest, and assimilate this food so that I get it from my mouth to where it needs to go in my body. That takes some energy. And then of course, the last component is basal metabolic rate, which is the largest of the three. And this is the energy required to operate all of the various different components of your physiology, from your brain, to your kidneys, to your liver, all of the different things that happen. If you're lying on the couch, staying alive, those processes require energy. So to lose body fat, you need to know your total daily energy expenditure, which is, again, a caloric number because calories are a unit of tracking energy uh, in these biological systems. So however many calories are required of you to maintain your total daily energy expenditure, meaning you need to eat that much to maintain your weight, to maintain your metabolism as it stands. If you eat less than that, you are going to be in a calorie deficit. Your body's not going to stop the BMR. It's not going to stop the total daily energy expenditure. It might adjust the NEAT, but if you maintain exercise, it won't really adjust the EAT or the exercise activity thermogenesis. So how does your body make up the difference? Well, it can mobilize stored glucose in the form of muscle glycogen, but it can also mobilize amino acids in the form of stored muscle. The thing is, both of those are substantially less efficient than mobilizing fat from stored fat tissue. That is what that is there for. So what your body tends to do is it acknowledges subconsciously or even unconsciously because your body's not really thinking, but it realizes, hey, we are eating 200 or so calories less than what we need to optimally fuel what we got to do here. Can we get this energy from somewhere else? And your body goes, yeah, let's mobilize some of it from stored fat because that's really what those stores are there for in case at ever, if ever there was a point where we needed additional fuel, right? So you think of the human body and more specifically, you think of the human species, part of the reason why we're so good at storing body fat is for a large percentage of our time on earth, food wasn't at a premium. And to be able to overeat whenever there was perhaps a big kill, uh, you know, like if, if our ancestors were to kill and take down a, a, a big, you know, beast or animal, uh, you know, they would eat as much as they could if they found honey, if they found berries, if they found anything seasonal, eating as much as you could before food would spoil or go bad and just generally consuming as much as possible and being able to store some of that away as stored fat would be good if you didn't have regular availability to food the way that we do now. So these mechanisms has evolved over time and we're pretty efficient at storing body fat. And we're also pretty efficient at mobilizing it for fuel when we're in a deficit. So the first things first, before we get into any of these things, just remember, if you want to lose body fat, even if you correct for every single one of these habits and behaviors, if you're not in a calorie deficit, you're not going to make that happen. This machinery is several hundreds of thousands of years old. It's physics, really. It's it's the Newton... Uh, Newtonian physics, right? So we're talking specifically about the law of thermodynamics. Energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only change states. So energy enters the body in the form of food in those 
the, the unit which we gauge the energy in that food is in calories. Those calories can be used to create movement and heat. So that's not destroying it. That's changing it. Or they can be stored as fat. That's not destroying it. That's changing it. When there's an energy deficit and we need more energy, what do we do? We take energy in the form of stored fat and we mobilize it into movement, into heat, into fueling these different processes. So these energy currencies are exchanged amongst the various systems in our body in a way that kind of always equals out. And that's why you'll often hear this referred to as energy balance, calorie balance, right? Our body is a biological system, but it does follow and uh, adhere to the laws of physics. And so energy that enters our body is stored generally as muscle, glycogen, or fat. And because we have evolved over 200,000 years to survive with relatively inconsistent food accessibility until the modern era, we're very efficient at using fat for storing energy and at mobilizing fat for gathering energy. So with that out of the way, let's talk about some of the habits and behaviors that people implement when it comes to body fat reduction that will hold them back. And this first one is exercise related. I hinted at it earlier, but it has to do specifically with exercise modality selection. And when you think about calories, when you think about losing weight, one of the more common things that people focus on is burning as many calories as they can. Because if you increase the total amount of exercise activity thermogenesis, you are eating in a deficit. What you're doing is you're going to create a bigger deficit. So imagine somebody eating 2,000 calories. Their total daily energy expenditure is 2,500 calories. So they're in a 500 calorie deficit. They then add in 500 calories of exercise. So their total daily energy expenditure increases to 3,000. And their intake stays at 2,000. So the deficit goes from 500 to 1,000. It's a greater deficit. It's going to lead to more rapid weight loss. So mathematically, it makes a lot of sense. If I burn as many calories as possible and I eat as few calories as possible, what will happen is I will lose weight faster. That's 100% true. The problem most people run into when they do this, though, is they burn a lot of body fat up front. They exercise a lot. They very much restrict their caloric intake. And while they're absolutely going to be losing some fat, what tends to happen here is from a physiological standpoint, the body starts to get creative and it starts to notice, hey, well, it doesn't notice because, again, it's, it's not a conscious, sentient component uh, of existence, but physiologically, your body starts to realize holding on to all of this additional body fat uh, and all of this additional muscle and all of these additional stored carbohydrates in the form of glycogen, um, I don't necessarily need to mobilize just one of these. I can get fuel from any one of these systems. But since we're doing so much uh, demanding work, the economy of holding all this muscle is inefficient. Like it's, it's taxing. So you might actually see muscle loss, which is never good because whenever you lose muscle, you're going to be reducing metabolic rate. You're going to be reducing strength. You're going to be reducing what your physique ultimately can do. Muscle does more than just look good. It's an important tissue for metabolism. So instead of approaching exercise from the lens of, I want to burn as many calories as possible, approach exercise from the standpoint of, I'm just going to find what works for me, what I like, because building strength, maintaining muscle, increasing mobility, increasing my aerobic performance, those things matter independent of my weight and body composition. And truth be told, if you can just find something that is 
beneficial for your mental health that you like and that you'll show up for, your diet's going to do almost all the work anyway. Yes, you can expedite this by adding in lots and lots of cardio, but I do have kind of a recipe here for most people that I think works really well. And this is what we recommend for our clients at Core Coaching Method, the clients that I work with directly, the clients that my amazing coaching teams works with directly. These, these are the philosophies that really show up in how we coach. And, and I have found that this works incredibly well for people who are all across the lifespan of both sexes, of different lifestyles. So whether you're a young 20-year-old dude full of testosterone ready to get after it, or you're a woman in her mid to late 50s on the tail end of menopause, I generally find that these principles are pretty consistent. And that's that if you're going to be exercising on your road to fat loss, which I think you should be, I recommend spending between 70 and 80% of your time with anaerobic resistance work that's going to help you maintain muscle and build strength and reinforce mobility. And about 20% of that time, doing a cardio modality that you enjoy, that will promote aerobic health, that will promote better circulatory and vascular health, that will promote longevity, that will promote health of the mitochondria, and giving absolutely zero fucks about how many calories you burn exercising. The one time I do think it's appropriate to use exercise to deliberately increase caloric expenditure is when you've reached a point at which you can no longer reduce calories. So for smaller people with smaller, more petite frames, you will have to eat less to lose weight. And for many of you, the number of calories you're going to be able to eat to be in a deficit is going to be quite small. That's where adding in exercise in place of just eating less might be beneficial. But the number one thing I see people missing, messing up here is there is a massive focus on exercise as a means of caloric expenditure and not much focus on exercise as a means of building muscle, protecting metabolism, building robust health capability. And one of these is constructive. The other is kind of destructive. And that framework doesn't really line up well if you're talking about losing 30, 40, 50, 60 pounds. If you got to lose 60 pounds, it's going to take a long time. If your exercise habits are all about punishment, punishment, burn, burn, burn it up, burn it up. I want to take off as many calories as possible. I don't want to be here, but I hate this, but I got to do it. Not going to work as well as I found something I like. I'm making progress. I'm moving better. I'm feeling better. I'm building strength. I'm looking more toned and tight. Hate to use those words, but you understand what I'm saying. That tends to be a much better approach. So first habit to get away from, stop thinking about exercise as a means of caloric expenditure and think about it as a way to make your life better, particularly your physical capabilities and your mental health. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick second to say thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And if you're finding value, it would mean the world to me if you would share it on your social media. Simply screenshot whatever platform you're listening to and share the episode to your Instagram story or share it to Facebook. But be sure to tag me so I can say thanks and we can chat it up about what you liked and how I can continue to improve. Thanks so much for supporting the podcast and enjoy the rest of the episode. Number two when it comes to habits that tend to sabotage folks is being dishonest about caloric intake with regards to either tracking suboptimally or inaccurately or just altogether not tracking at all. A lot of people will follow diets that are very restrictive and have a lot of constraints, like the ketogenic diet, for example, at which you really focus on eating more dietary fat and almost no dietary carbs with a moderate amount of protein, or the vegan diet, or you eat only plant-based foods and remove all animal products, or the Whole30 diet, where you focus on eating from a very small select group of uh, food groups and remove a lot of processed foods. And what all of these diets do 
is generally re- remove somewhere between 40 to 80% of the foods that people were eating or that people typically eat in the traditional or standard Western diets. And so that's going to create extreme caloric restriction, particularly when you have to reframe your entire way of eating. Um, And oftentimes you'll be focusing more on plants and protein, which is generally a good thing for body composition because plants are very satiating, proteins very satiating. Neither of the two have a tremendous amount of calories with the exception of like some meats like a ribeye that might have a lot of associated fat. Um, but you know, if, if you follow these diets, they're very restrictive and almost assuredly will put you in a deficit by virtue of removing 60 to 80% of the foods you were eating. But there's no real education or understanding there of what is in what. So what we found works best for people is to track your calories or to track your macros. The most basic level is to simply find out what your TDEE is eat the foods you enjoy, focusing on getting mostly whole foods that are minimally processed and try to eat less calories than your TDEE from those foods. The next level, probably a little bit more advanced and a little bit more likely to drive results, is to also divide that caloric total. So let's say your TDE is 2000, you're aiming for 1800, but you want to make sure that that 1800 comes from the right places so that you have energy, so that you can train, so that you can maintain muscle. So you subdivide that 1800 calories into one of the three macros. So you're getting, you know, 100 grams of protein, 200 grams of carbs, 60 grams of fat, and you're going to aim for those targets every day. I'm not sure if that adds up to 1,800, but subdividing it out so that you have more things to focus on than just the pure calories is always going to be better for performance and body composition. If you just want to lose weight, I suppose you can focus only on the calories, but I think tracking the macros is important. So one of the mistakes people make, I find, is they don't see the value in tracking, so they don't do it. They just overly restrict, and they jump from one restrictive diet to the next. Or if they do track, they don't track particularly accurately. They track using cups and ounces instead of grams. And remember, cups and ounces are better volume measurements. Uh, Grams are a better measure of true mass. And when we're weighing things out, you're going to get a lot better results from weighing your food in grams than measuring your food in cups. So if you can track most of the foods that you eat using a food scale in grams and make sure that you're measuring those bites, licks, sips, and tastes, I've heard this before said many ways, but really what you're looking to do here is just make sure that what goes in your mouth gets tracked. If your goal is body fat reduction, this is an important step in the process, in my opinion, because it gives you the ability to learn what is in what. And you do not have to track forever. Absolutely not. I think that tracking is a great way to become uh, more intuitive in your approach to food. A lot of people are hyping up something called intuitive eating, which is just kind of working with your body, eating what you feel like you need when you need it. And if I were to eat intuitively, I'd eat pizza every fucking day because that's what I want. That's intuitively what my body tells me, like, "Mm, get some pizza, get some churros, get some french fries. And so the notion of eating intuitively to me is a little bit counterproductive because our hedonistic drive, what we want in an environment where we're surrounded by hyper-processed, hyper-palatable foods, um, you know, is going to be pretty skewed towards stuff that tastes good and stuff that's easily accessible, which is usually high in calories. 
So when you track, you learn what's in what, you learn what has a good amount of protein, you learn what has carbs, you learn what has some fats, what has some more fat than you thought, some more carbs than you want, a little less protein than you thought. You do this for a couple months or a couple years, you get a really good idea of it. Then you can make more informed eating decisions and you can eat intuitively while still being informed. And maybe you go, hey, I did want to have a Chick-fil-A grilled chicken sandwich, but I tracked that once and I learned that that had 400 calories. So instead, I'm going to have a Chick-fil-A grilled chicken sandwich that has 250 calories, the same amount of protein, but a substantially less amount of dietary fat. That's intuitive eating to me. So the second mistake I would say that people make, to put succinctly, is opting for overly restrictive diets in place of tracking or tracking lazily in place of tracking well and consistently. And I do think that taking five to 10 minutes a day to accurately track your food and pairing that with resistance training exercise is the singular best approach you can take towards weight loss with the highest probability of success in the highest probability of populations. What I mean by that is if you gave me 100 people and you split them into four groups of 25 and all of those groups had to follow incredibly consistently the constraints outlined you put 25 in the keto diet, they can only eat keto, period, end of story. You put 25 in the vegan group, they can only eat vegan, end of story. You put 25 in a group that can only track calories, period, end of story. And you put 25 in a group that tracks macros and lifts weights. I guarantee you that the group that tracks macros and lifts weights will lose the same or more body fat than the other three while maintaining better composition and exiting this experiment, if you will, with a better understanding of food. So moving on to number three, and this is a big one. I see this a ton with my clients, particularly the clients that I've trained in person and I see in the morning, and that is staying up late watching television. I know what you're thinking. How the hell does television influence my body fat or my fat loss goals? And it's multifactorial. So let's break it down. First and foremost, Binging and streaming is incredibly popular to the point now where when people ask you, what are you watching on TV? They'll often phrase the question as, what are you binging or what are you streaming? Because this is the new way in which people go about consuming content. It's very effective at, you know, allowing us to sit back, relax, and really enjoy some of what I would call the golden age of television. Like the shows on television now are better than they've ever been. And I don't blame people for wanting to watch them. But the problem is a lot of people go to bed at eight, hoping to get a good night's sleep and they stay up till nine or they go to bed at nine and they stay up till 11 or they go to bed at 10 and they stay up till one because they can't stop watching these incredibly addictive, entertaining shows. It's like, I want to see what happens next. And while they're lying in bed, maybe they have a glass of wine, or maybe they have a few snacks, or maybe in between episodes with their honey, they say, hey, run downstairs, can you grab some chips? And every moment that you're awake is a moment in which you're going to probably have to make a decision to overcome some level of desire to eat, overcome some level of desire to do what you don't want to do. But when you're sleeping or exercising, you're usually not experiencing those same drives. So when you're exercising, you tend not to be hungry and tend not to be thinking about food. When you're sleeping, you tend not to be hungry and tend not to be thinking about food. So what happens when you stay up extra late one or two hours a night is you actually increase your exposure to making bad decisions. You decrease your sleep, which compounds in multiple ways. Less sleep will decrease your ability to make the right decisions. Less sleep will influence your blood sugar. Less sleep will influence your appetite. Less sleep will influence your body composition. Less sleep will influence your hormones. Less sleep will influence your 
muscularity and performance in the gym. So staying up late watching a bunch of television shows every night and getting in the habit of staying up late watching a bunch of television shows every night is definitely suboptimal when compared to getting some sleep. So I think what you can do instead is set aside time every evening in bed if you like to do this for one episode of a show that you're watching. Allow these shows to take longer to get through. I know it's a pain or try to watch them during your exercise. I know that many of us do this together with other people where we sit down and watch these things communally. It's very good for us. But if you're like me and you want to watch the new episode of The Book of Boba Fett or you want to watch Mandalorian or you want to watch Ted Lasso, maybe you can do that while you're doing your cardio. Maybe you can do it while you're walking on the treadmill and do a little habit stacking. But staying up late watching a bunch of shows, not my favorite thing. Number four is underestimating the power of NEAT and habit stacking. So think about this really quick, guys. We talked about the four components of total daily energy expenditure, thermic effect of food, exercise activity thermogenesis, basal metabolic rate, and the last one, total daily energy expenditure, or I'm sorry, non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Those four things make up your total daily energy expenditure. And so your TDEE will change as you diet, as you lose body fat, the actual number will come down. And so increasing your NEAT, increasing the number of steps you get, increasing the, num- the amount of fidgeting you do can be really valuable. So the most easy way to do this is to habit stack with walks. And so what I will often do is I will make sure that I take all my phone calls on walks. Uh, I try to listen to podcasts on walks. I try to listen to audiobooks on walks. Wearing a weighted vest while doing this will increase your actual output more and your neat more. You can park farther away. You can take the stairs instead of taking an elevator or an escalator. You can position things farther apart from each other in the house so you have to move further and take more general steps to get things done. Um, you know, you can really get creative with how you do this, but at the end of the day, simply making a concerted effort to increase your movement can be really, really valuable because we talked about how that TDEE comes down as we diet and we get leaner. And that's why fat loss gets harder and harder as you go, especially if you're not building muscle or maintaining muscle. Um, and so TDEE being mostly reduced by constraints on meat. We can actually look to up our need by combining things we have to do or need to do with movement. And so you can get something like an under the desk bicycle. You can get a treadmill desk. You could even get a standing desk. Although I think the best way to do this is to just take your calls on walks, take the stairs instead of the escalator and park as far away as you can whenever possible. Those things work really, really well. Number five is not leveraging the power of fruits and vegetables, and not just because they're very satiating, right? They're full of fiber. They help keep you full. But when you're dieting and you're reducing your exposure to more calories, you're also reducing your exposure to more nutrition. A lot of people do cut out processed foods that don't have a lot of vitamins and minerals, but for many people, they cut out things like whole grains and breads and different foods that may or may not have a good amount of nutrition in them. So increasing the amount of low-calorie fruits and vegetables that you consume is great for your gut microbiome, right? So you'll give your gut more of what it needs. You'll give 
your body exposure to more vitamins, minerals, and polyphenols, and you're doing so at a cost from a caloric standpoint that's quite negligible. Most most fruits will contain some natural fruit sugars, but they're not very high in calories. For example, like 100 grams of strawberries or 100 grams of watermelon has like next to no calories. When you really look at it, you're like, wow, that's all that's in there? And those are really tasty, really sweet, really good for you and loaded with nutrition, which to me is super cool. But also, it's good for you as a human being. It's good for the organisms that live in your gut. We have an amazing partner in Seed, the best symbiotic on the market that will provide your gut microbiome with a diverse array of bacteria that will help with skin, health, gut barrier integrity, absorption, and increase the diversity of the microbiome. All of the strains in Seed are clinically dosed, meaning that they are, again, occurring in the dosages that have been shown to work in humans in the literature. And 99% of probiotics on the market are trash. They need to be refrigerated because the actual process of creating the product uh, is substantially different than what Seed does. Seed will send you fresh packets every single month so your product does not need refrigeration, all of the units, the active fluorescent units, you can actually tell that the organisms are alive by the time you get them. And if you don't believe me, please head over to seed.com. They have an amazing, amazing website with tons of education that will really break down just how cool and revolutionary this product is. And if you'd like to save some money on your seed subscription, you can check out using the code Danny15. So the last piece, guys, and I think this is perhaps a little bit of a hack or a little bit of like a upper echelon one. It's certainly not as important as the five I mentioned. And that is to reduce exposure to liquid calories, including protein shakes. So a lot of people will make the habit of having a high calorie coffee, having a lot of juice, having a lot of sports drink, having a lot of soda, and just simply switching those out for their calorie free or reduced calorie versions. Meaning if you have a coffee with a lot of calories from fat and sugar in the morning. You can just switch to plain espresso or tea. If you have soda, you can switch to diet soda. If you have sports drinks, you can switch to element electrolytes. There's so many different swaps you can make. But when it comes to protein, increasing your total daily protein is a really good idea. So a lot of people will have a shake and a shake is awesome. I'm not demonizing shakes, but if you are trying to lose body fat, Eating protein will probably keep you fuller. Eating like 25 grams of chicken breast will probably make you more full than drinking 25 grams of whey protein because the whey protein's basically already absorbed or dissolved. You just absorb it once you drink it. You have to chew, swallow, and slowly digest that whole food protein. So that's oftentimes a better option. So just to wrap things up, guys, six habits that I think are holding people back focusing a little bit too much on calories burned while training and not enough on just making physical progress, um, choosing overly restrictive dietary protocols or just being lazy with tracking instead of being diligent, staying up too late, watching television instead of focusing on getting sleep, underestimating the power of taking the stairs and getting a little extra neat, not eating enough fiber in the form of fruits and vegetables, and caloric intake from beverages. I hope you guys found this episode helpful on your fat loss journey. If you do need additional help, consider going to corecoachingmethod.com and applying to work with me and my amazing coaching team. We have one-on-one full-spectrum online coaching that has been honed over years working with real people just like you. Whether you're a bodybuilder or just a soccer mom and you want to get in better shape, we're happy to help you. You can apply today by going to corecoachingmethod.com 
clicking the coaching tab and applying for online coaching. If you'd like to help me and help the show grow, you can do me a huge favor by leaving a five-star rating and review on iTunes or Spotify. It helps the show grow organically. Continue to listen, continue to subscribe, and continue to share. You guys are amazing. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one.